It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. G'day and welcome to the call. 10 stocks picked by you two experts. One hour. It is Friday, the 27th of October. I'm Andrew Gagan. Good to have you with us and our two experts on the show today, Claude Walker from A Rich Life and Luke Winchester from Merriweather Capital. Welcome to both of you. Uh, Now, of course, interesting times on the market. Well, not just on the local market, but generally everywhere at the moment, everywhere you look, um, there's volatility. We've uh, moved back into, we take a look what's going on on Wall Street, uh, back into extreme fear uh, in terms of the VIX. Volatility, I guess. Um, Luke, is this going to lead to some trading opportunities, do you think? Oh, definitely lead to some trading opportunities. Um, you're right. It's it's like a tennis match at the minute, watching the the fear gauge. Not not something I rely on my investment strategy, but it is interesting. Um, but but that's what volatility brings. It brings opportunities because share prices will will fluctuate. You know, in both directions, away from sort of the fundamentals of of businesses. So, as investors, it's not fun when you go through periods of volatility, particularly when most of that volatility is downwards. But you have to try and welcome it because that brings the opportunities that that. You try and look for longer term so that's you know what i'm trying to focus on the businesses and and we're getting plenty of news in that regard you know we're going through agms we're getting first quarter trading updates so it is a little bit easier for fundamental investors to filter out some of that macro noise given you know the current news flow um but yes no acknowledge it is tough but but you have to try and and sort of as i said filter that out focus on the fundamentals and and look for those opportunities that no doubt do pop up in times of volatility and Claude, um, you know, to look at uh, what's going on with the small caps at the moment, I was taking a look at the Russell 2000 uh, out of the States, um, look, you know, down down significantly, of course, uh, interest rates, uh, we're hearing that narrative, going to remain elevated for some time yet. What, what's your overall outlook at the moment of the market? Oh, well, how long have you got? I just uh, <laughs> penned a, an extremely long article for me anyway, by my standards for subscribers about my sort of overall outlook at the moment and, and positioning. And and it's, it's a complicated situation for me because I, um, uh, you know, I believe in the way that I can make my money and, and I have made my money and it's been hugely life-changing for me is to, is to move out into that less efficient part of the market, which is smaller and, and micro stocks. And also, uh, the, the best business models in that space tend to be actually, you know, Obviously, there are some people that can do mining companies, and 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 if you get that right, you can do well on that. But that's never been my area of expertise. But the area of expertise that I chose to develop over the last decade, you know, being more software, healthcare, that and small industrials, uh, that's a, that's the winning one long term. But it's been a really tough period for uh, especially anything tech related in the last couple of years. Uh, so I've actually been, you know, in May 2022, I wrote a now public article about why I wasn't ignoring interest rates, basically saying, look, I'm going to be selling my cash flow negative you know more speculative stuff and that's more or less the position that i have 
uh, maintained ever since then. There is one cash flow negative company that I held on to for my faults, Alcidian, and that has not been doing well share price wise anyway. Uh, so overall, I actually remain conservative. Uh, I keep, I don't invest my cash in the stock market. I invest my cash in a, a, a savings thing, but I've still got plenty of dry powder. And I think about my investable assets being in savings, getting my 4% a year or whatever it is. Uh, that's my firepower for uh, finding, you know, really good examples in the micro cap and smaller cap end that really are truly undervalued, which then should respond eventually to developments in that company. And we are starting to see a little bit of that. I think Luke would totally agree with me that there has been a lot more um, takeovers of, I guess, distressed revenue generating micro or small cap companies lately. Uh, you know, the most recent one that comes to mind was Damstra. Uh, look, I wasn't in that or anything. And I thought, you know, actually, that's a, probably a good result for them, given all their debt. But uh, it just goes to show some of this stuff is getting already oversold. Uh, but that's not, you know, the real fun times happen when you get a proper bull market, which will require um, a different macroeconomic setting than we have right now, which is why I do remain overall conservative and just, mm. uh, you know, not putting money, not shoveling money into the market, uh, because there are some opportunities, but few compared to when you're at the in a more bullish phase with uh, interest rates either stable or declining. Claude, uh, great to get a view of your strategy as it presents itself right now. All right, well, let's uh, get into the first five stocks we're going to take a look at. They are Dubber, Talius, Alliance Aviation Services, Shaver Shop and Bird Dog Technology. Our stock of the day is in the retail space. Harvey Norman out with an update reporting a major hit to its profit and revenue in the most recent quarter, aggregate sales, uh, revenue declining more than 9% in the September quarter compared with uh, this uh, previous quarter, the same uh, this time last year. The group's uh, Australian store sales revenue falling more than 13.5%, which contributed to a 49% decline in its profit after tax. So, Claude, um, consumer discretionary. Look, we know what's going on there at the moment, given the pressure that households are feeling. Taking a look at actually Harvey Norman shares, they're up uh, more than 2% this morning uh, in response. Uh, how are you looking at, at that sector and in particular, how well placed Harvey Norman is then at the moment? Well, in terms of your first question, the sector, I think for, for anyone who follows me on this platform on Ausbiz uh, on the contributor following thing, you'll see that I've kind of been avoiding retail for quite some time, still watching the stocks, still covering them. Uh, but generally speaking, just avoiding retail for even before I got out of tech stocks, like quite some time now, because, you know, obviously retail had a very, very heady blast from all the stimulus uh, that we got throughout uh, the lockdown period. And uh, Harvey Norman was a massive beneficiary of that in so many ways. Uh, so retail remains still, in my opinion, coming off, you know, bubble territory. Now, Harvey Norman in particular, amongst retailers, you, I would argue for so many reasons, it's one of the worst ones to invest in. Uh, this particular result, I think, is interesting because what we're seeing is, say, if you compare Harvey Norman's result to JB Hi-Fi's result, whilst JB Hi-Fi's result is a little weak, that is actually probably one of the better retailers that you would look at. Um, and that's been much more resilient overall than Harvey Norman. And I think a big part of that is because uh, while smaller purchases will continue, like electronics, uh, that you're probably seeing uh, the, the interest rate cycle and also, you know, cost of living pressures, say, see people uh, pull back on some of those bigger purchases. Do you really need 
um, a new, you know, washing machine, for example, uh, or can you make do with uh, the older one you still have? Or if yours is broken, can you get it fixed for $100 or whatever it is? So I think that Harvey Norman for the macro still don't like it. Even in good macro times, it's never a stock that I would be involved with. It just doesn't. I mean, it's so obvious. I, I don't even need to say why it doesn't get into my investment universe. Yeah, fair enough. Okay. Luke, uh, do you share that view? Yeah, I basically do, Andrew. I mean, to Claude's point, the comparison with JB, they had their update yesterday, but within the JB Hi-Fi um, group, uh, sales being relatively flat, the good guys segment was down about 12%. So as, as Claude says, targeting that sort of white goods and um, more bulkier purchases, they're seeing a similar effect to Harvey Norman. Um, but look, it's it's just a a snapshot of why retail is so tricky at the minute. It's it's the operating operating leverage these businesses have. Um, you flashed it up before. Sales down sort of ten to to thirteen percent in in um, Australia slash the group, um, but profits down forty nine. And and so, you know, if you just extrapolate that throughout the year, which is a very basic arithmetic. I know that you're cycling different numbers as, as the year goes on, but you know, what was a, a PE of eight last year, you know, if profits fall 50% becomes a PE of 16. So, you know, you can quickly go from from cheap to expensive just because of that leverage is is so tough to sort of get a handle on. Um, I basically agree with Claude's thoughts, though. I think retail, you're still early in the the, the downturn in the cycle. Um, this is just the start. You, you're cycling some tough comps. The consumer's weaker. I, I expect things get worse before they get better. Now, share prices are definitely sort of reflecting that. They, they, they are optically cheap. Um, we'll talk about a, another one later on. Um, but for me, it's still too difficult to put my finger on well, where do earnings land? You know, when do they bottom out? When do they recover? What do the valuations look like at that level? And when you have that much complexity and, and stuff going on, I generally just avoid the space and, and try and find areas where I just, I just have more certainty of what I think the business will look like over the next few years. All right. So that, that's an avoid as well then too, which is, yeah. I guess, more broadly applying to that sector at this point. Okay. All right, well, let's get into those stocks as picked by you. The first one we're going to take a look at is Dubber. Uh, it is a software company designs, develops uh, cloud-based call recording and playback software. Uh, recently struck a deal with uh, or a new alliance with Alianza, I think that's the way you pronounce it, in the States uh, for communications cloud for services provider. Uh, Dubber's providing the... Uh, the conversational intelligence solutions. Um, I'm sure the guys can elaborate on this to the uh, Alianza platform. Luke, tell us more. Yeah, you've done a good job of summing it up. So, so cloud-based call recording, and basically, whenever you have any data in the cloud, it's just easier to overlay, you know, analytics, AI, um, software on top of that, and get better insights and and you know, uh, key performance indicators and things like that. So, the <laughs> The product thesis behind Dubbo, I think, has always made a lot of sense, and and we'll we'll flash up a a longer term chart in a second, and we'll see, you know, back in 2021, where these sorts of story stocks, for lack of a better word, um, it, it did really well, like you know, got above four dollars at one point, um, and and the reason why is because as I said, there is there is a 
a, a rationality to a really good product here. They've just never made it work from a economics point of view, though. And and even even throughout its its listed life, it's it's really struggled to gain a scale, not only over its operating costs, but but even just its cost of goods to to actually you know the product and operating costs to actually just provide the the, the cloud based recording service. Um, so the business has always been a very long way from scale, of course, as Claude um, touched on in his opener. You know, last year that that capital environment really turned for businesses like this and turned quickly. They've been forced to dilute at some low levels. The you know the the cuts to the cost base just haven't come through quick enough. So, look, I sit here today and. I, I view Dubber the same way I pretty much have for the last couple of years, which is interesting product, but just nowhere near that inflection point to where I can look at it and confidently say this business can stand on its own two feet. Um, I mean, even looking at their last report, they're still flagging a $20 million cash loss in, in FY24. <sighs> That's just too big of a bridge. Revenue is not growing fast enough. You're not seeing the leverage over a gross margin to, to sustain that or to, to try and turn that around. So, Again, it's another avoid from me, Andrew. Look, I, if you're someone who you know likes the the tech space and and willing to take a bit more of a speculation, keep it on your watch list. Like I said, I think the product is real and genuine and has a spot, um, but it's just a long way off from from making money and and being a viable business. Fair enough, Luke. I mean, sorry, we just heard from Luke Claude. Yeah, so uh, Dubber is uh, a company that has just been one of the worst overhyped, uh, terrible businesses that I've seen in the last few years. Uh, look, it was one of those stories where it's a business that's able to make revenue. I mean, basically from the looks of it, judging by their huge losses and continue, continued cash burn, you know, maybe not in this particular quarter, but over the course of their existence, you know, it's like they're almost making no gross profit, no gross margin almost, it, or it's nowhere near enough to like cover the cost of, of being a company. Uh, so it's just essentially they have been, in my opinion, effectively subsidizing a service to, to other people. So that revenue, it's just like it's nothing revenue. It's like, wow, you can you if you could sell um a dollar ten for a dollar, you know, yeah, you could grow your revenue, but what's the point? And you know, the story for these kind of tech stocks is supposed to be like, oh, you know, we get some scale and then somehow we get some power in the tech stack and suddenly put out our prices. Like, are you gonna get pricing power? Look, I don't think there's any chance that they're going to get pricing power in the end and be able to actually, you know, become profitable. Uh, I think it's a fundamentally flawed business model and, uh, you know, it might be something that gets taken over, but, you know, for example, even Damstra that did get taken over, like it got taken over or got an offer right after it put a positive cash flow quarter. Like it actually made it. it, it limped across the line there and then boom, gets a takeover offer. This thing's nowhere close to limping across the line. Like it's last quarterly, I, I had it up in front of me, but I think it was, um, you know, receipts from customers, you have to double check it. Receipts from customers, 9 million, our net cash operating out outflow, 7.6 million. I mean, they these guys have to do massive amounts of, it's just, I don't even know why it's listed. I would assume eventually this company, you know, it goes nowhere good, put it that way. I, it's an absolute sell it would be you'd have to be very lucky kind of day trading it i reckon or not day trading but some short trade could make money but otherwise definitely avoid and, and a sell for me i wouldn't i wouldn't hold it goodness that, that's um 
among the most negative commentary I've ever heard you. <laughs> Honestly, I could, if I, I don't know how, you know, it, one, one has to resist the temptation to spend significant time to get one's ducks in a row to just absolutely savage it even more. I, I think I've probably been nice in, in my little synopsis. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, that's definitely an avoid from both then. Uh, but certainly if you've got it, sell it, says Claude. All right, let's move on then to our next stock. It is, well, in fact, it's one I've never covered before. Uh, it is uh, Talius. Uh, and it uh, well, provides products and solutions for the aged and disability sectors. Uh, I think it's got some agreement with more than 3,000 aged care providers, for instance. Uh, but yeah, into that retirement living, residential aged care, community settings and the like. Now, in fact, a, a question from Phil, who suggested this, saying it's a micro cap that has high revenue growth and has been consistently cash flow positive for the past year. What would be a fair price to sales multiple for this business, Claude? Well, first of all, thanks for the question, Phil. This was like, you know, easily the funnest part of the preparation, preparing the show for me, uh, because once I once I bothered to chart out the last, you know, quarters, as you said, that it has been positive operating cash flow, you can see that, you know, since June 22, it's gone from burning cash and, you know, under 2 million cash receipts each quarter to, you know, in the most recent quarter, almost 5 million in, or 4.8 million in, in receipts, and their record quarter with uh, operating cash flow. Now, whilst there has been a very good improvement in their actual financials, uh, you, you have seen a flat share price uh, sitting at one cents there, and, uh, you know, with actual director buying as well. So, you know, great. Thanks for bringing us this one. In terms of what's the right P ratio. Well, that's a good question. Let's zoom out and look at the business, what it does. So they are selling, uh, you know, a combination of devices and then ongoing uh, monitoring uh, or, you know, software services for, say, aged care homes to uh, more automatically um, monitor the residents without having to rely so heavily on people just walking around and checking on people. Uh, and also to automate some of the paperwork that they need to do for, for government reasons. And uh, overall, you know, that sort of ticks the box in that you'd think, well, you know, this does make sense in terms of a transition that needs to happen. And so maybe we can, can see that growth continue. And of course, growth is a huge question of what PE ratio you'd give such a business. Uh, and then the thing you've got to also remember, though, is that it's not going to be a I don't think it deserves whatever deserve a huge crazy P ratio that which you like see in the in the companies that scale extremely well, which are generally software or IP style companies that have some sort of really truly capital light asset that just becomes more valuable uh, over time. So I don't think we would ever see a massive P ratio. But whilst it's at that kind of inflectiony point level, um, you you could see a couple of very good strong years of of, of growth. So. I'm hesitant to actually say a PE ratio that I think this company deserves because it depends what stage of its life cycle. But I do think it's like quite interesting now. And this one's going on my watch list. I've only prepared for it really for this show. So I would be hesitant to say bye because there could be some red flags that I, that I haven't unsurfaced. Uh, but on the face of it, if you know, I'm not going to do this. Zero chance. It's a super illiquid one cent stock. If you put your money in and something goes wrong, you might never get it out. Uh, so it, it, it could go to zero kind of stock. But the risk reward to me, it does look good. And definitely in my younger, freer days of uh, punting on, on microcaps more willy-nilly style, uh, it would be definitely one that I, I could 
I 100% see myself buying shares in. I'm um, not no current plans, but it's now you know on the due diligence list uh, because it is heading in the right direction. And look, if we start to see that statutory profit come through as well, and you know, I you know could it get a P ratio of 20 reasonably if it, if it's looking good? Yeah, I think it could. And and you can do the maths on on that, but mm. you could definitely see how the share price could go up from here yeah. uh, if the business continues on the same trajectory. Interesting. So the, the younger Claude, a more reckless Claude, would potentially be buying this. Uh, but as you say, it's on your watch list. Uh, Luke, how do you view the business then? Um, through a pretty similar lens, um, it's a good little business, as Claude says. Um, you know, it's that mix of hardware and software, but uh, the business is really focused on their software solution, which is a, a platform-style software that basically takes API plugins from a range of different sensors in that aged care monitoring setting. Um, so they view the hardware as the means to the end. You, you need to get the hardware into your customers, but then you get them onto that nice sticky software platform-style revenue. Um, and they're quite agnostic about the hardware they use um, or, or that will plug into it. Um, so they've got some nice tailwinds behind them, um, two main ones being obviously aged care in general. There's there's a, a greater shift towards aged care um, centres and, and they are quite manual process and getting some efficiencies in there. But the other one is a lot of the sensors that have been installed over the last, you know, 10, 15 years are all 3G. And of course, Telstra is shutting off their 3G network, I think next year. Um, and so there needs to be a big rollout refresh of, of new sensors. And, and of course, that opens up that churn event for someone like um, Talius, who's sitting there with, you know, what they consider to be a best in class offering. So I agree with Claude, I really like this. To answer Phil's question, I'm actually going to have a very similar answer to Claude, which is it's very hard to say um, because the business model and the, the numbers will change over time. You'll see scale come into the business. But hopefully the other thing you'll see is that software really take over and start to become a bigger portion. And when it does, the, the price to sales or price to earnings, whatever whatever metric you want to use, will rightfully shift up with it. Um, so look, I don't own this with Meriwether Capital, but I actually agree with Claude. It looks really interesting. It's right around that inflection where you want to be looking at stocks like this. And I think there's enough tailwinds there for this to continue into the near future. So it's one that I don't mind saying to, to feel or someone who has a bit more of that speculation um, in them, this is something you can look at and, and possibly have a little a little nibble at. All right, okay, that's really interesting. Uh, so watching both watching there for Talius. All right, let's take to the air. The third stock being Alliance Aviation Services, picked by uh, Louise. And well, look, there was an agreement there uh, from Qantas to fully acquire the um, the Aussie uh, charter operator. However. That was knocked on the head by the ACCC, saying uh, it uh, would obviously be bad for competition. Uh, however, I see that, that uh, Qantas still retains a, some 20% shareholding in Alliance, also continues a long-term agreement to allow Alliance to operate, I think, around 30 Qantas aircraft. Luke, what's, what's your view? Yeah, I don't think the market ever really believed that was going to get up, but the, the price never really reflected it. Um, but it's good that I guess it's now been removed as a, as a distraction for the, for the company. Um, I, look, I like this business. It's it's always been a, a mid-cap, you know, sort of a few hundred mil, 500 mil market cap. So it's never been sort of in my micro small cap universe where it's something I've looked at too seriously as an investment. But whenever it has floated across my radar, I've always been really impressed at a good management team running a business in a, in a notoriously 
notoriously tough industry. Like we know how difficult it is to run airlines. There's there's stories globally um, about how how difficult it is. How capital intensive, cyclical. Um, you combine those things, and, and and you know, extremely competitive as well. So they do a, a fantastic job. What a lot of people will point to over time is they do a really good job of investing counter cyclically. Um, so. You know, when competitors are struggling, that's when Alliance Aviation, who have usually sat back and, you know, harvested cash and, and got a good balance sheet, that's when they might come in, pick up distressed assets or, or below sort of, you know, their fair values and then, you know, um, reap the rewards for the, the years after. Um, so they go through those sorts of capex cycles, and that's the one thing I'd flag here is that they're about to embark on another capex cycle. They recently bought, I think it was thirty odd planes from Aircap over in Europe. Um, so you know, again, it's a management team where I think you just hold this for the long term if you're there. If you're on the sidelines, maybe looking to buy it, I don't think the valuation offers a, a fantastic entry point. It's about sort of fifteen times profit before tax. That's a bearish price for this business in this current sort of interest rate environment. Um, and also knowing that that cash flow in particular will be sort of squeezed a little bit over the next few years as they just go through that investment process. But longer term, you, you back a good management team to, to manage their capital cycles, manage the cyclical nature of the industry uh, and continue to carve out a nice little niche in, in, in the spaces they play. So pretty easy hold for me. Andrew. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that sounds relatively positive, but it is a hold, Claude. I think usually I would agree with Luke in that this is one of, you know, this is a reasonable mid-cap. It's not something that I would, you know, try and say is a, a terrible business. I think mostly airlines are, but part of that analysis that makes airlines a terrible business is when sort of competition in that market is functioning well. Now, these guys being in a sort of niche attached to resources, you know, industry as well, uh, probably means that competition is not really as intense as, say, in America, uh, you know, commuter, you know, state-to-state flights. So, Ultimately, I, I think that it sort of satisfies maybe one of the two Buffett rules for investing in an inflationary environment. So it probably does have some pricing power. It probably can put up prices a bit, but it also do, it does not um, satisfy the other rule, which is to be like not too capital intensive. It is very capital intensive. And that means that, you know, at best, I'd say it sort of doesn't really satisfy the criteria that I would be looking for uh, f- for the kind of current environment. And so personally, I'd probably sell. Like I've been, I don't have many companies in my portfolio that don't fulfill those criteria at the moment. And the one, the one that I, you know, and the ones that don't, I'm sort of very much on on thin ice as well. So I'm going to say sell for this one. Yep. Okay. Fair enough too. All right, let's move on. Uh, look, we're back into retail now with our fourth stock. It is Shaver Shop. Uh, pick my Michaela. Um, it is a retailer of personal care grooming products. Um, I think um, well, last time I walked in the shop, I might have bought an electric toothbrush. But uh, look, it, that's the sort of products that it sells. But are people walking through the door at the moment, particularly given the cost of living? We've discussed this, particularly consumer discretionary. Claude, how do you see Shaver Shop? So, um, so Shaver Shop's interesting, actually, because it has proven to be a fairly uh, resilient little retail business over the years. When it first list- listed, I must uh, confess, I thought, oh, you know, this looks like it's not going to be much of a stayer. Uh, but actually, over the years, I think it's done, you know, a reasonably solid job and it has paid a fair bit out in dividends over that time. So I think it's a company that you could think of as a dividend stock. And there have been times for sure when it's been quite cheap. 
uh, based on dividends. And by the way, dividends could go up and down. This is a retail business and we've just been talking about the risks to retail. Uh, so you can't rely on it as the safest payment ever, but it is, uh, you know, it has paid dividends consistently. So I think that it's actually quite, I, I'm not really buying uh, retail at the moment, but if I was in this, I'd probably hold it right now just because I think it's quite cheap. Uh, and I also think, I guess, you know, the kind of stuff they sell is reasonably resilient. Like if you do want to get a new shaver, that's a, that's a high value thing to your life. If you know, you're, if it's making your life easy on a, on a daily or, or very regular basis and it's not too expensive, then, then that's something that you're probably going to still spend. It's not as discretionary as a new this, new that, that you don't really need. So overall, I think that it's, it's a whole just based on it being really quite cheap and its track record of managing to, you know, run the business fairly well in, in the last five years. Mm, okay. Luke, so do you agree cheap, but is that worthwhile to hold on to? Um, I would hold as well. Um, mm. It's really interesting, this list we've got today, Andrew, because I think you can make comparisons between a few of the stocks in very different industries because, you know, Shaver Shop to me, I, I, you know, look at um, Alliance Aviation we just spoke about and I said I think it's a well-run business in a pretty tough industry. Um, and I actually view Shaver Shop the same way. I, I, I actually fully agree with Claude because when this came to market, you sort of thought to yourself, it's a bit of a fad and, and you know, surely um, Amazon and other online providers will just kill this business over time. And it's been remarkably resilient and run exceptionally well. And the way that I think you could look at that, and I just opened up their last report. And the first thing I noticed was a lot of retailers really struggled to control their costs of doing business. Um, you know, that, those operational costs, wage inflation, um, you know, uh, supply chain inflation, things like that. Um, and, and like I said, uh, Shaver Shop Group did a remarkable job of keeping them flat and, and eked out some small sales growth and, and managed to keep profits flat while a lot of peers are reporting some some pretty some pretty tough numbers at the minute. Um, now, I think you can hold it there. The dividend yield is about 10% at the minute. What gets you a bit nervous is um, at the full year results, they gave their trading update, you know, up until the release of those results and like for like sales were down about 10%. Um, I'm not sure when their AGM is, it will be soon. We'll likely get another update again. Um, if you're on the sidelines, definitely wait for that because we just spoke about Harvey Norman at the start of the show and that operating leverage where 10% like for like sales was a 50% hit to profits. Now, I'm not saying that's shaver shot, but that's the sort of leverage you can see with these businesses. And all of a sudden, if earnings are back 50%, yields are back 50%, and, and what was cheap can suddenly look, you know, sometimes expensive. So um, I would I would hold it if you're there just because I think it is very well run and I give management a lot of credit for, for carving out a, a nice resilient business in what I think should be a much tougher niche than where they play. Um, but if you're on the sidelines, wait for that AGM. I think you'll mm. get um, a big a big um, sort of answer to, to how they're traveling at the minute. Yep. Okay. That's a good point. Uh, double hold. But as you point out, wait for that AGM. All right. Let's uh, move to our fifth stock. It is Bird Dog Technology. Um, develops, manufactures hardware and software, video um, solutions, uh, cameras, encoders, decoders. In fact, we use that technology right here at Ausbiz. Uh, Jack wants to know, uh, he's saying the revenues are dropping, the market cap 25 million, cash at 22, volumes are very low. He's saying, in fact, it looks like the only shares traded are being taken by Bird Dog themselves in their buyback. His question then, is it a buy at these levels or is it a bit of a dangerous lobster trap, Luke? 
Um, it's a very good question, Jack. I'll, I'll sort of address you know this in two ways. Firstly, talking about the business itself. Um, it's not a bad business. It looks like there's some interesting technology behind it, but what sort of gives me pause for thought there is the gross margins aren't as high as what I think you would have hoped to see from a business that, that claims to have some strong technology in, in the niche they play. Um, so, you know, they came to market in 2021 and over the last two years, those gross margins are about 27%. That's, you know, that's a pretty average gross margin for, for you know, what you'd hope to see from someone who claims to have some, some genuine IP behind what they do. So from that point of view, the business hasn't really excited me. But then, of course, you've got to overlay the stock price, which <laughs> that chart says it all. Um, and Jack is sort of hitting on the right points here. So, you know, it's nearly at cash backing when you put in, um, you know, liquid working capital being inventory receivables and, and subtract uh, their, their current liabilities. It's about $35 million of, of net working capital um, compared to that market cap of about $25 million. So you can have a very different um, answer between is this a great business that you want to hold for the long term? For me, that answer is probably no. But is there an investment here as a, as a beaten down turnaround, you know, below asset backing, um, you know, and can, can that sort of rectify itself over time, either by the business turning around or by, you know, potentially some M&A coming in, which Claude touched on at the start of the show. There's, there's a lot floating around at the minute. Um, I think, you know, I'm not doing this to be clear. I don't, I don't want to make it seem like I am. This is the sort of stuff as a turnaround. I think you could sort of speculate on, but for one clear reason, there's no debt behind this business. I think, and, and again, we've got an interesting list where I think we can have this conversation again in a second. When you do look at turnarounds, I never touch a turnaround if there's debt there because it, it's, there's a noose around the neck and there's a timer on the on the on the countdown for the turnaround to, to be successful. Bird Dog doesn't have that. Plenty of cash, plenty of liquid assets. You know, there's time here on your side if something doesn't happen or that turnaround takes a bit longer than expected. So, Jack, if you are there, um, you know, I think you can hold it, continue to speculate on on that turnaround. If you're not, you know, not that it's worth anything, but this is the sort of thing I would say um, is something you could speculate on for that reason. Uh, but just to be clear on that longer term business outlook, not my favorite just because those gross margins, you'd really like to see them um, tick higher. Yeah, okay, Claude. Yeah, it's an it's an interesting one. I guess I'm a little bit more cautious of it than Luke. Uh, I think sometimes having that cash in the bank uh, for management and the board uh, really disincentivizes uh, doing a deal as well. So ten, tends to be that the the board and management of companies that have a weaker balance sheet are more likely to agree to a takeover because maybe they need to raise shit like capital somehow anyway, or it's a bit stressful. Uh, so. Uh, I, I'm not super optimistic of that, but there could be uh, some sort of technological edge that they have that I don't understand that would make them uh, an attractive acquisition target. So there, there could be that that drives it and it doesn't matter what I said. So there's some angle there. I don't love it as... I don't, I'm not on board with it as much as Luke and partly just because I think just generally speaking, that device business are bad businesses. I think probably the most likely thing that they'll do at the moment is that they'll, they will sort of spend their cash trying to get a bit more scale because of those low gross margins. They really do need more scale to, to you know, survive and thrive as a listed entity. So I'm sure they'll, I have a feeling they'll probably spend that money chasing that. And so over time, I expect that man, money to go away. 
and how much revenue growth will they get and what margins will they get for it? Well, device margins often tend to be quite low uh, and the, the low gross margins certainly suggest there is competition out there as well. So overall, it doesn't really stack up for me uh, as an as a intelligent speculation at the moment. Uh, that does, you know, at the same time, I do think that there's probably limited downside from here just because right now it has a lot of cash relative to its market cap. So I, I think it's probably, you know, you could probably hold it and try and wait for a better exit if you're in it, but I wouldn't mm. get it in it myself. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, let's sum up. We've been in the first half of the show, then we began with our stock of the day, which is Harvey Norman, uh, the retailer of uh, home goods, of course. And it is an avoid from both. Look, um, Claude essentially avoiding retail at this point, um, and Luke making the point, it's pretty much reflecting what we're seeing in retail, given it is under pressure, given those cost of living pressures, uh, consumers reluctant to spend at the moment, particularly in the discretionary side. Uh, into the ones as picked by you. The first one being Dubber. Uh, it's an avoid from Luke. Um, pointing out it's a really good product, but uh, it's never really made it work. Long way of profit. And uh, Claude was absolutely scathing. Um, he's, uh, he's saying completely overhyped. He's got a sell, a hard sell on Dubber. Uh, Talius, a bit of a different story here. It's on both their watch lists. In, in fact, uh, Claude's saying, look, his younger self may well be buying it at this point, but it is illiquid, so you need to watch that. Um, and Luke talking about some good tailwinds for the business given it's in the aged care sector, which is only growing. So uh, he has a watch on it also. Alliance Aviation Services, uh, Luke's got a hold on, talking about the good management there, but it is about to embark on some uh, some CapEx with more aircraft of this following that uh, deal for uh, Qantas to buy it out, which was knocked on the head by the ACCC. Um, Claude, though, has a sell. Look, uh, the fact that it is in aviation, it's uh, a bit of an avoid. From him, Shaver Shop back in the retail space, a hold there from uh, Claude saying it's a solid dividend stock. Uh, it is quite cheap at these levels. Uh, Luke also a hold, so, uh, mentioning it is a well-run business, and just rounding it out there, uh, Bird Dog Technology, uh, a hold from Luke uh, with a point of perhaps watching. Um, similarly, I guess watching from uh, Claude, but essentially he, it's a no from him. All right, let's uh, catch up with our own high conviction portfolio. It's picked by our investment committee. The latest episode of that is live here to watch at ausbiz.com. So checking in on the updates, uh, going into October, Avita Medical taken out and it's waiting distributed between Washington 8, Sol Pats and Altium. 1% was taken out of reach of Karoon, ProMedicus and Paladin. Another 1% of cash was spent to add Camplify. So checking in on its performance, it's up 2% on the cumulative return basis since its inception at March last year. That has, as you can see, over the course of October, has lost a considerable amount. Uh, and so keep your requests coming in. Keep the call switched on to see which stocks our committee will be looking at next. Well, next we're gonna take a look at AMA Group, Orthocell, Mightycraft, PSC Insurance, and Pantera Minerals. So let's kick it off with AMA Group. It is, uh, operates, develops um, businesses in the automotive aftercare market, essentially, uh, with uh, vehicle repair plus parts and accessories. Now, Paula wanting to know, uh, saying they've been destroyed, and I'm wondering if the company is ripe for a turnaround or whether their competitive position has been permanently 
eroded, just noting that, so look, it fell off a cliff uh, when COVID hit, um, hasn't really recovered um, its share price over the past five years, down some 92%, in fact. Claude, AMA Group, what are your thoughts? So AMA Group is uh, a business that's been listed a really long time. And I think that if you go back and look at the um, you know, super maximum long-term share price, you can see that it's actually already got bid up uh, um, during the pre-GFC time, recapitalizing the GFC, and now it's being recapitalized again, so it's crashed again. So the problem with AMA Group fundamentally is that, uh, you know, their customers are really powerful and can bargain them down, so super slim margins, so it's just... You know, they serve their customers like really, truly. And you definitely uh, don't want to be holding this in any kind of downtrend. Uh, now, is it sort of oversold? What is the actual value of the business? Can it turn around from here? They're all the questions the market will be asking. I would say that with this stock, you've got to take a trader's perspective of it. Now, I think from memory, they actually recapitalized that at 7.5 cents. Luke can correct me if I'm wrong on that. But uh it's currently six cents, right? So I just think there's like a bounce, there's a potential bounce trade. Uh, there's capital available to these guys to turn around. I don't know, you know, I'm not, this is definitely not some sort of long term thing. It's not a good quality business. Over the course of time, bad quality businesses, you know, w- will not make you money. But if you time it, there's a bounce trade here. Yeah, maybe. Um, not one that I, it's not my style of investing. Uh, but for that reason, I, I just don't want to poo-poo it completely. But overall, this is a, a business that's a tough business. It's already been like recapitalized twice now in the time that uh, I've been following it. So I, I wouldn't invest in it, no. Yep. Okay. That's a no. Luke? Um, yeah. So go back to my point on Bird Dog. When you're looking at these turnarounds, stay away from debt because it just cripples these businesses. Um, you're often forced to undertake these recapitalizations, as Claude points out, and, and you know undertake some heavy dilution. Um, as uh, Paula, who wrote it in, like she sort of said, has the competitive position deteriorated? A little bit. Like, And, and I think a lot of that, Andrew, is, as you said, uh, the COVID effect and, and less cars on the road, maybe some work from home in there as well. But by and large, the underlying business hasn't really changed too much. Um, the biggest hit they've had is just to their capital structure. They took on a lot of debt to make an acquisition just before COVID hit. Um, the timing of that was was exceptionally unfortunate. And it's at the point now where despite the business, you know, probably doing okay, um, as I said, that capital structure is untenable. And I think eventually this equity looks like it's going towards zero. Um, I was pretty surprised I was able to get away such a decent recap not too long ago. Um, so, yep, one I, I wouldn't touch. I think turnarounds... They can be interesting in this market, and a lot of stuff is beaten down. But just don't don't go near them when you see debt on the balance sheet. It's just it's often too much of a noose to to overcome. All right, that's pretty emphatic from both. Then avoid AMA Group. Let's move on to Orthocell. Uh, this one picked by Tim. Um, look, has regenerative medicine products. In fact, it's got two uh, at the moment: uh, a collagen scaffold. Uh, and plus cell therapies, uh, it's collagen nerve repair device, uh, Remplier. Um, it's uh, clinical trials, still waiting for FDA approval, I think. You might be able to correct me on and that has been approved in Australia. So Tim asking, uh, they have uh, an interesting product, he's saying, already on the market. Can they scale to become profitable? Luke. 
Um, this is the sort of business I've, I've had this come up before and had a quick look at it. it. It's not my style, early stage biotech, but I can see why this is worthy of some, you know, um, intelligent speculation by, from people. Um, so it's got a lot of characteristics you look for, which is they've got a, a platform called CellGrow um, around that regenerative um, sort of cellular medicine. And it's about looking for applications for that technology. So the main one that is commercially um, viable is called Striate, which is uh, dental and, and bone repair. Um, and it's got some impressive um, uh, sales distribution contacts with Henry Schein over in the US, which is the world's biggest uh, dental distributor. Um, and they stumped up, uh, I think, 20-something million dollars to get the exclusive rights to distribute this product. So straight away, you know, as, as a layman who doesn't understand the, the medicine behind this product, you know that something's there when, when you know, a, a, big, a big industry player is willing to put up real cash to get access to the distribution rights. Um, Remplier, I think it looks like they are more excited about being a bigger um, addressable market. Um, it's around nerve regeneration. And again, I noticed going through the announcements the other day, they've brought a woman called Fiona Wood onto the board. Um, and she was the person who pioneered the um, technology behind Avita Medical and their resell spray on skin technology. Um, so again, the right people are being attracted to this business. So, so just to clarify, I don't own this in Meriwether Capital. It's not really my style. But if you are someone who has that sort of risk appetite for early stage medical device companies, because you know we know how big they can get when that commercial success and that product market fit really takes off, I think this business actually exhibits a lot of the characteristics for the sort of business you're looking to find at, at this stage of the life cycle. So, you know, I would say to uh, Tim who wrote in. You know, if you do own, continue to hold it. I think the business is doing everything you like. And if you're someone, as I said, has the stomach for it, I think this is one, again, worthy of speculation. Mm. Yep. Okay. Claude, do you agree? I, I agree. That was a, that was a great rundown. Um, thanks. I mean, I agree with, I guess, his, his broad thing in terms of the takeaway. I think that basically where I disagree is probably the more interesting thing. I agree with most of that. Where I disagree is that I think that generally... I guess the growth and the scaling and the launch of these new products uh, that does end up costing more and and taking longer than than people hope and expect. And I I could cite a fair few other sort of I guess companies that are, are trying to grow sales of of even more proven products in in the US. And they when they start getting traction and there's high growth, they they can go for a run. So I see the intelligent speculation angle. Uh, but but right now this is not for me. I probably want to see uh, a little bit more of uh, basically bigger revenues, and and then once it gets bigger revenues, I could see there's a real case for at least a sociological thesis for why it could go up, start attracting attention, even if it's not profitable. Hmm. So for now, I'd be on the sidelines with these with this one, um, just waiting for you know more penetration in America, higher revenues, cl closest, um, more likely to catch the attention of uh, I guess the small cap fundies who who um, could then push the share price up. So for me, it, it's too early on this one. Uh, others that I'd be more interested in a similar space might be actually Avita Medical or, or Polynovo or, or Genetic Signatures all trying to sort of commercialise proven products in the US. Yep. Okay. So maybe just too early, but one to keep a watch on at this point in terms of Orthocell. All right, let's uh, something completely different now. Uh, the eighth stock, Mighty Craft, picked by Michael. Uh, it's in the premium drinks uh, segment. Uh, Michael saying, uh, look, he points out he's a novice retail investor, but he's saying this seems cheap. They own one of the biggest gin distilleries in the country, amongst others, and its market cap is under 10 million. What am I missing? Aside from the fact that its share price is 
on the deep slide at the moment. It's in fact, it's off around 90% this year. Claude. Yeah, so I think probably the thing you're missing is the cash flow, essentially. So, uh, the you know, these kind of distilleries, breweries, uh, or whiskey makers or whatever they be, they tend, they are very uh, cash flow intensive. A lot of their profits, you could imagine, just ends up being stored in in the uh, in inventory, I guess, or in the working capital of the business. So on top of that, it also commits the sin that I guess like Luke was talking about with, uh, of having borrowings. Uh, so ultimately, uh, the financials don't look that good necessarily. Negative operating cash flow, uh, negative investing cash flow, debt, and at the end of the financial year, if I'm not mistaken, just 3.6 million in cash. So that's why it's down so much. Mm. And that's a serious concern. And broad, big picture, you know, there's, I think, a good one to go and uh, look at if you're interested in this is you could look at some of the other ones that have been listed that are sort of in the similar alcoholic brands and drink space, Lark. Uh, and also, I've forgotten what it's called now, but it used to be called Gage Road Breweries. And these are basically tough businesses. Uh, what you've got to ask yourself is when you're selling drinks brand, where does the value come from? And if you study the success or failure of these drinks company, you'll see it's really all about just marketing that brand. It's the brands that valuable. So like, you know, Moe Champagne or whatever, valuable because people pay that premium because they want other people to say, oh, you got this one. Oh, Dom Perignon, Crook, you know, whatever it is, it's, it's showing off socially or it's monster drinks are cool or it's fever tree mixes, you know, means I'm like classy and a little bit less sugar in my more expensive mixer. You're signaling things. Those are the things that, um, become super valuable because you're making sugar water and you're just selling it at a massive premium. Uh, do, doing the process of making alcohol is already more difficult than selling sugar water. And then you've got to ask yourself, how much loyalty is there in gin? Is gin the next big thing? I mm. feel there's been a massive explosion of gin, you know, boutique gin distilleries, same as craft breweries, right? And I don't think there's that much loyalty uh, except beyond the local area. So in my area, People are probably a bit loyal to local Canberra beers, but it doesn't scale well. Uh, it, so that that sort of thing. So I don't think there is anywhere. Look, it could go up, it could go down, but yep. it's not a space I would play in. It's too risky for me. Okay, too risky, Luke. Um, yeah, I agree with that. And, and to Michael, you can enjoy the products without owning the stock is, is my tip. Um, <laughs> as Claude said, the issue here and, and like if you're a proclaimed um, novice investor, this is some very complicated accounting behind this business. And the reason why is because they own um, stakes in, in these various distilleries and pubs and breweries. Um, and so what you see come through the profit and loss statement of the business, and, and, and as an example, last year they reported a $9 million profit. Um, a lot of that is actually some non-cash adjustments to how they're valuing assets or, or, or revaluing or restructuring. So uh, Claude pointed it out very well. Cash flow is really the key to this business, and it's extremely weak, and it's what the market's obviously focused on. Compare that with, again, I'm coming back to that theme of turnarounds and debt. There's 16 mil debt on the balance sheet. It's very, very tough to see a path for this business from an equity point of view where it can sustainably find a way to pay off those debts without having to go through some sort of recapitalization or, worst case scenario, the equity's worth zero. Mm. So I'd be on the sidelines for this one, Michael, particularly if you are someone who, as you said, you're a novice and, and um, sort of 
are new to investing and, and potentially accounting, um, because this is actually a very, very complex business. Um, you know, I'd, I'd maybe go and find some, you know, don't be afraid to play in the smaller end with Claude and I, but, but there's some, certainly some businesses out there with much simpler accounts and business models to understand. All right, that's a no from both. All right, two to go, we better lift the pace somewhat uh, into insurance, PSC insurance. And uh, general insurance, uh, Macquarie pointing out operating conditions supportive, uh, balance sheet has capacity to fund accretive growth, organic growth at 11% across the board. Acquisitions also feature some 13 completed over the year. Luke, PSC. Hard to really poke too much of a hole into this business, Andrew. It's, um, you know, uh, an insurance broker, uh, sits alongside AUB and Steadfast. Um, the three of them have, have done exceptionally well. Obviously, that chart looks sideways, but put that in the context of a pretty tough market over the last year, and, you know, you'd be pretty happy as a shareholder and, and collecting your dividends as well. Um, valuation, about 20 times earnings. You know, they gave you about that sort of earnings growth last year. So if you boil that down to a pretty simple sort of price earnings to growth ratio, it's not too bad. Um, the thing I keep waiting for with these businesses is for them eventually to start bumping into one another you know um, they've been bolting on these small acquisitions for for many many years the as i said the three of them aub steadfast psc and you sort of wonder as they get bigger they need bigger acquisitions to really move the needle you know when do they start having to overpay and sort of compete with each other but realistically you haven't really seen that happen they've all found ways to continue to grow quite strongly um, you know, even at earnings per share level, you know, factoring in dilution from from acquisitions and, and capital raises. So, you know, I think it's a pretty comfortable hold um, in this environment. If you're after something that's pretty defensive, you could probably even you know buy it at this level. But be aware that it, that, that valuation is a touch full. It's not. I wouldn't say it's extremely expensive, but you're mm. not. You don't have too much breathing room at 20 times earnings. But if the business you know continues to tick along like it will, you know, I think that multiple holds and you'll get your dividend yield and the share price. You know probably sort of sticks to that sideways to, to slowly up trajectory it's on so mm. hold but but maybe you buy for someone who is you know sort of ultra defensive all right claude i'll be really quick as we're running out of time the reason i so i have an interest sort of in this stock through another company that's taking over called insurance which is ena so that's my disclosure i sort of have an interest because i will eventually get uh, PSE insurance shares, I, I hope, if everything goes to plan. And, uh, you know, the really high level reason why I own it is because this does, it's like sort of reasonable price and it does satisfy the rules for investing in a, in a sort of high inflation environment. So being an insurance broker network, it doesn't have high capital intensive, uh, intensity and the price of its product insurance is going up in an inflationary environment. And people sort of, Think of the fees they pay to a broker network as relative to the price of the overall transaction, the insurance policy that they're buying. So that puts BSC Insurance in a strong position to be able to continue to put its prices up because sort of people are conceptualizing that and often sometimes it even is a percent of the value of the actual insurance. So um, I'll tell you what, you know, I'll write an article about this over the weekend and um, publish it to people that are on our free email list. So jump on the free email list and then you can um, get the full story on this one. All right, but so what are you doing with it right now? It's a buy for me. I mean, I'm essentially yeah. buying it. Just, I'm position. doing it through a different different yeah, yeah. vehicle. Like I, I recently bought 
it's just a way of getting it slightly cheaper, basically. Fair enough. All right. As long well, as it goes through. Yeah. Yeah. If. Uh, all right. Let's round it out with Pantera Minerals, uh, our tenth stock. Uh, lithium, iron ore, manganese, base metals. Uh, look, stakes in both North America and also Western Australia with its flagship uh, lithium brine project in North America, um, in Arkansas, I think. I uh, haven't really come across this one, so I don't know too much about it. So, uh, Claude, what can you tell us? Look, obviously, it's just a speculation. I guess, you know, the angle people would be thinking about would be lithium, which which has been pretty hot. Uh, but that's not the way I invest, uh, definitely. So, not one for me. I, I see the lithium speculation. It could get hot angle. But for me, that's still a very, that's very much a trader stock, not really a long-term investment uh, thesis at this point. So, uh, I, I know, if you're trading it, don't listen to me on it, uh, but otherwise, it's an avoid. Yep. Okay. And Luke, of course, you know, lithium price has been under immense pressure. It is a very specky sector. So, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I agree with Claude. It's it's pure speculation. Um, they, they came to market trying to explore for iron ore and manganese over in WA, and then earlier this year, um, bought an interest in a lithium asset in the US. And I'm, I, it's always just big, big orange and red flags go off for me whenever I see that, Andrew. You know, these businesses are stretched thin enough as it is from a capital point of view. They, they need to sort of save every dollar they can and focus on their exploration. And when you, you know, earlier this year go and then get an investment in, in lithium, it sort of probably tells you all you need to know is that there may not be much there, you know, from from the existing business. The, the market's sort of suggesting that as well. You know, what comes of lithium, who knows? But as you said, it's sort of come off the boil the last couple of weeks and months. Um, and it wouldn't surprise me if maybe a uranium exploration is next for this business. Okay. All right. Uh, that's an avoid then. I'll take it from both. All right. Let's uh, wrap it up and uh, summarise the second half of the show. We began there with AMA Group uh, in the automotive aftercare market. Look, it's a no from uh, Claude. You know, talks about the super slim margins. Uh, Luke also pointing out the debt there. It's an avoid from him. Orthocell, certainly more promising. Uh, Luke saying not his style, but it does see the promise in the business as long as it's uh, it comes off a speculative perhaps high, but it's got a, a buy, I should say, but a hold on at the moment. Claude also on the sidelines pretty much at the moment, but certainly one worth watching. Uh, Mighty Craft, a, uh, look, Claude pointing out negative operating cash flow there. No, just too risky. Um, also, you know, look, again, pointing out the debt issue that company carries. No from him. PSC Insurance, a hold there from Luke saying, uh, if you're looking for that defensive play, potentially a buy. It is a buy from Claude, uh, given he has a position elsewhere uh, where this could be bought out. Uh, so uh, that was a buy from Claude. And rounding it out there with Pantera Minerals, look, it is an avoid from both in that lithium space. That is the show. Let's uh, thank our guests. Uh, Claude, thanks for joining us from A Rich Life. Thank you for having me. And Luke from Merriweather Capital. Good to see you. Thanks, gents. Good show. All righty. Any stocks you'd like us to cover, you can go to osbiz.co forward slash call picks or tweet us at osbiztv. Stay with us. Pulse is up next. (laughs) 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.